You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and we are here to talk to you about the practical things that we like to talk about as pastors. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We have over in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Hello, hello. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, in his own turtle, Ninja Turtles lair, we got Delmar Pete. Howdy ho. And in the morning after ministry studios, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings, salutations, one and all. And Timothy Miller. Hello, friends. Hey, it's good to be with you all here. Again, we talked about this. We announced this last week. I want to announce it again at the beginning of this episode, September 4th. We have a new, brand new show coming out of the Practically Podcast Network that's just now being created. Uh, It's called What is a Campus Pastor? And it's a podcast by me and me bringing on a bunch of campus pastor friends on the show. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a campus pastor, some of those nuances, and also get ideas of what this role looks like in different contexts from across the country. We have folks from... um, from uh, Saddleback being on the show all the way down to Elevation Church being on the show and a bunch of churches in between. It's going to be a fun show and I can't wait for you to meet some of my campus pastor friends because they'll be your friends too and uh, and learn more about what it means to be a campus pastor. Uh, that will come out September 4th, the first episode. We'll probably put a, a couple of teaser episodes on this feed, but if you go to whatisacampuspastor.com, you'll be able to subscribe, all that kind of stuff. I hope to see you there. Guys, we have two questions. Well, a question and then I have an article for you guys. Uh, here's the question that was asked to our Practically Pastoring Facebook group. A friend who is in the wedding industry approached me asking, recently asking about being an officiant option to recommended to be recommended to customers who are in need of an officiant. My question to the group is, do you see anything wrong with doing this? I would have conditions in place as to who I would or would not officiate a wedding ceremony for. Some context, I believe he's seeking, uh, seeing it as an opportunity to give me a, a side hustle, a side job. I also view it as a ministry opportunity for couples. Just interested to hear your thoughts. Currently not leaning either way, but interested in other thoughts and viewpoints. Uh, famously on this podcast, Andrew has just That's given me. himself to officiate any kind of wedding. Anyone who wants to get place. married, doesn't matter who or when, Andrew will do or it. Or what. It could be an animal. It doesn't yep. matter. Andrew, tell I've us about an your lack of conviction. I have crab funeral. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a lack of conviction. I would say in the state of Florida, a notary public can do a wedding. So some different states have different requirements. Florida has one of the lowest requirements of who can do a wedding. And so if anybody asks me to do a wedding and I get to proclaim Jesus and point to grace, uh, I'm going to do it. Obviously, I have different standards for if a church member is wanting me to do their wedding than if somebody off the street is looking for a wedding. But I think if someone is saying, hey, will you come and do a wedding and you can do whatever wedding you do and you can talk about Jesus as much as you want and you can talk about the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, if you have an opportunity to preach the gospel, then you should do it. And also, if you can make a couple hundred bucks, that doesn't suck either. (sighs) 
Dell, you are not on mute, buddy. Oh, I'm not. Oh, let me go ahead and do that. Professionalism. <laughs> yeah. Practically pastoring podcast. Here we go. Well, Dell, since you're not muted, you can answer this Let's question. Let's go. Yeah. Um, you are a videographer on the side. Yeah. How it's it's not the same as being an officiant. I think the, no. the issue with being an officiant is there are some spiritual implications. And there are some Absolutely. weddings you'll probably have to say no to. I guess there's some things that you would have to say no yeah. to as a videographer also. But, like, explain to us, like, kind of your thoughts about being a videographer for hire while being a pastor. Yes, let me let me unmute myself here. Now, well, You're first not of muted. all, we can still far, hear you very well. <laughs> okay. First of all, as far as, like, performing weddings as a pastor before I get the videographer, I'm only qualified to perform a Christian wedding. Like that's my ordination, you know, and, and, and my, I've told people before, like I, what you're wanting is a civil union. You're not really wanting, I mean, we can get into that. Uh, but I, I do, I, I draw, I draw a distinct line there as far as what God, what, what God and my church has backed me to officiate. So I'm very clear with that up front. If one of them's not a Christian, we have that conversation. I do Christian vows. And I remember telling one couple, he was he was a Buddhist and she was a Christian. And I said, well, the vows we're using are Christian. That's what I'm licensed to do. I didn't, I, I kind of, this is one of those, I didn't ask for the wedding, it came for me kind of thing. And uh, I went through the vows and I said, how much of this do you believe to the girl? And she says, I'm 100% in. He go, I said, how much do you believe about these vows to the guys? He goes, 70%. I said, then y'all have to go talk about the fact that she means a hundred percent what she says in front of this whole congregation, but he's only 70% in like you have to work through that. Cause I do think one of the reasons they come to a pastor to officiate is cause they want someone to care. Like that's the point of a pastor. Like I can go to a civil magistrate and get someone to sign off. But if you're coming to a pastor, then what you're saying is you want someone to give a crap. And that's my job. Even if that's a little difficult sometimes and might work them to go want to go find someone else. Now videography because I do know we have a lot of guys who are by vote on this, who listen to this. I have a personal core convictions and values for my own business. And one of the things is I only film what I believe in. So if, if, if it's a marriage that I, that I don't believe in, like, like theologically, then I have, I have a core conviction to myself. I have to pass on that. But it's not even just marriages. Because I do think how, how easy is it just to isolate certain people out you know what I'm saying? And, oh, they're different from me. Um, I had two people reach out for me this past week. Hey, will you make a video for a political campaign? And I just, no, I don't, I don't get involved in that realm. The money would be good, okay? Like if I can get into a politician's pocket, they're in everybody else's. But I think for me, it was easy for me to be like, well, I'm sorry I have to pass because I don't believe in it. So you have to have the standards before you're asked. You know, so when you're when you're thinking about going into officiating weddings, you need to have personal convictions and standards that you live by that may not even be put on you by said organization that you're doing it with. Also, you know, if you're going to be officiating a wedding like Andrew is, I mean, we could be different. I believe if I'm the pastor over the wedding, then I need to have pastoral oversight into this union, meaning marriage counseling. That's part of me. If yeah. if 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 I'm going to be signing off on this sort of speak, then they're going to go through marriage counseling. We're going to ask some really hard questions. I'm not just pastor by there. Again, that's the difference between a pastor 
and an efficient. So having standards on the front end, whether you're a pastor, where you're a bivo guy coming in on a different place in the wedding, I think that's that's fine. But also just kind of in the last thing, if if you're wanting, I guess, you know, there's decent, okay money to be had officiating wedding. But like it also, it feels a little weird to me to be like, I'm making all this money off officiating covenant things. You know, yeah, you're making like, way more money doing video than the officiant is ever making. That's fair. I am. It's it's way more um, lucrative to be on the other side of the the back end of the wedding than the front, <laughs> sort of speak. But at the same time, I'm not by me videoing. I'm not a. I'm not setting up a covenant relationship. You know, so there's a lot less um, oversight in that regard. If that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, don't, I agree I don't, there too. Um, go ahead, Tim. Uh, I think maybe that's kind of two sides of it there with Andrew and Dell. Um, I, I would also say on on the side job thing, um, I don't know if you have any um, connections with area funeral homes. One of my side jobs that I've done from time to time is I've, we've live streamed funerals for wedding. I mean, for funeral homes. Uh, but what I've noticed in this side job is a lack of efficiency for funerals that funeral directors have to call on to. So what could be even more lucrative and maybe even a greater ministry opportunity for you is to reach out to some area funeral directors and funeral homes and just say, hey, if if the family is looking for an efficient, I'm I'm willing to come in as long as they don't mind me sharing Jesus. Because Tim and I have had some very bad funeral efficients. And that's true. Like, I, And I have talked to several funeral directors and I said, why do you keep bringing this guy in? Not Not trying to be mean, but he's not very good. And she said, we know that, but we have no one else. So I don't, and, and we live in a, a very large area. Yeah. So chances are here. In, in small. And you towns, have the demographics of needing a lot of funerals. <laughs> exactly. Old people. Yeah. That is very, very true. A lot of them on Tim's worship team, according to my daughter. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but possibly true. She said that in a service we were at recently. She said, I like how all the old people are doing the music. I was it's like, really hey, cool. Um, yeah, I would be in a similar boat. Like I, as kind of what. Dell has said, I, I don't do weddings unless I do the premarital. And if they don't want to do premarital, then I just, you know, invite them to find another person. Having said that, I am on the like public database for save your marriage before it starts, um, which is one of those kind of prepare and rich, you know, they each take the survey separately and then you come together. So, I, I mean, I will do it even if I only get one or two sessions with the couple. Um, but if they refuse marriage counseling, the no, because part of what, you know, a little bit like what Dell said, part of what they're looking for, sometimes it's a little more sinister. And I tend to see this more with people who want to continue to carry the title of Christian and look spiritual, is that they want you to kind of sanctify their uh, their sinful, you know, relationship that they know is wrong. But if we can get a pastor to do it and we can do it in the church, then, you know, hop, hands are clean, we're good to go. And so if those those people are, you know, part of this equation i might just tell them well why don't we just why don't we just get married now like why are we waiting because a lot of people it's like they really don't care about the marriage as much as they care about having a fun ceremony where they can have cool pictures for social media and i'm like that's not what i'm about so i i would say i don't just downright um say no i want to at least have that initial conversation with with the couple um and say hey look i'd love to do your your ceremony for you, even if you're not a member of my church or anything like that. But I would want to do some premarital counseling with you and understand I am a pastor and I have a specific view about what marriage is. 
And uh, I did I did this exact thing with a couple, and they actually called the wedding off uh, because they realized a couple sessions in that, like, he was basically just saying yes to whatever she wanted to lead her on, and he really didn't want to be married, but he was just like, I mean, I guess if she wants to get wow. married, we can get married. And she realized that based on the counseling that they went through with me, and they called it off. So, um, I mean, selfishly, I didn't get paid for that because we didn't have a wedding ceremony. But I feel great knowing that, you know, that wedding that shouldn't have happened didn't. One yeah, of I mean, the things that I live by was something that a senior pastor said to me when I was, and it was, um, I think it was my in laws um, who I was trying to figure out, like, how, how does this work? Because when your father in law says, hey, I want you to marry me, and your wife's new stepmom to be, and my wife's mom had had died a few years before, um, and I was kind of navigating that. And he said, Andrew, I don't think you will ever lead someone to Jesus by telling them that they're not good enough for you to marry. And that's kind of one of those core memories tattooed to the back of my brain. And I get what everybody is saying. And like I said, if I'm marrying a church member, there's a different set of standards than if I'm marrying, you know, Joe and Bonnie off the street. But if I am given an opportunity to, you know, to preach grace and to point to marriage as being symbolic of Christ in his church, then I'm going to go for it. But you can still require premarital counseling, even with Joe and Bonnie, right? Like, you can. I, yeah, I mean, just don't tell them they're not good enough for you to marry, I think. Yeah, but, but That's probably what when you do. tell someone that you're not going to marry them, all they'll ever hear is, you're not good enough for, for me to marry. Well, I think I mean, you communicate that agree to disagree. that's not what you're saying. I mean, you can, uh, that's just the same thing. I wouldn't sign off on a plethora of things in our culture. That doesn't mean I hate them. We're told today that, you know, disagreement and hatred are the same thing. And that's just not true. You can have, you shouldn't have to violate your conscience to save someone else's feelings. That's just. But if Andrew's sincere. not violating his conscience, then by all means do it. You know what yeah, I mean? It would violate like, mine. I guess is what I was getting at, you know? Yeah. I uh, I think that there has been credible uh, like secular data that like marriages that have premarital counseling um, are less likely to have divorce. And so like even at minimum, like even in our own church, we don't um, like I don't do premarital counseling with every couple that gets married, but there is premarital counseling classes at as a church. And as long as they go through that, I'm totally down with marrying them. There's been times where I've done the premarital counseling specifically with the couple. And in fact, I just did one. I just did the wedding this past Saturday. And I did uh, Doug Field's uh, book. And we got to Chapter 7. And there was a lot of giggles. Boom. I go. love Chapter 7. Getting ready for We're marriage. Chapter 7 tonight. <laughs> yeah. no I was, was going to say you and Steph. No, oh, okay. no, in my premarital <laughs> session go. with the young couple. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tim and Andrew, what's the name of the book by Doug? and uh... Getting ready for marriage. Jim yeah, Burns, yeah, yeah. Doug Fields, check it out. Great curriculum. Yeah, chapter seven, great, great chapter. Um, so, 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 uh, so, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, whoever, whoever wrote this question, um, you know, you're hearing kind of like two, maybe three sides of this this angle. There's a side of like, hey, there is a very big missional opportunity by at least being available to, to and and maybe you're in a context where like you're in this, you're in a place where there's a lot of Christians and. It's just a lot of pastors don't do weddings or they, you know, they're not comfortable with their pastor doing a wedding. They just want a pastor to do a wedding. And there are believers. They just, you know, I know I'm, I can tell you how many times where um, there's these families who they're getting married by pastors 
who are like their parents' pastor or their old youth pastor, and they just want a pastor to marry them, just that the church that they're at, you know, there's too many layers to get to their pastor to marry them because maybe it's a large church or maybe they don't want their pastor to marry them, but they want to be married by a pastor. And so and someone like, like Andrew showing pastor, but like a real pastor. <laughs> yep. Just like that. Ouch. So, so if you are in a situation where this could be a good thing, but I also think there's wisdom of like, you know, in, uh, in some churches, they'll say they only officiate weddings of members and their family members. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't open that up to the public and there's probably some wisdom in that too. Um, and there's wisdom in being able to be the person to, to have the, the premarital counseling because of your conscience and also for the benefit of their marriage. So you hear those. Hopefully, whoever wrote that question can hear those perspectives. And uh, now it's on you and the Holy Spirit to figure out your next choice, your next decision. Here's my uh, last question. Uh, this, this, this comes from the Gospel Coalition. They wrote an article saying that you don't know when your last sermon will be. And I read this, and I am depressed, <laughs> okay? So uh, it talks about the, the beginning of the article follows John Calvin, John Flavel, Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones about their last sermons and like kind of how uneventful it was. And, and it just kind of goes through each one, at what age they died, how they died for some of them. And I was just like... This is kind of morbid and dark, but it made me. Start I mean, especially about, if you're only going once every six weeks or so. <laughs> <laughs> you never know the last time you're going to hit play on somebody else's sermon, guys. You never know. You know the tech guy plays presses play. I don't have to press play at all. I'm so proud of myself for that comedic timing. Perfect. <laughs> that was good. That was waited really good. until you got morbid and then went for it. Uh, what is the I campus pastor podcast? September fourth. That we we really love Frank and he's are a any real of us going to be guests on this other podcast? Just, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a, it's a really funny joke. Uh, <laughs> um, what is a campus pastor podcast sponsored by Practically Pastor? Where Frank <laughs> just introduces one of our sermons and plays it, <laughs> <laughs> and That's then the does follow up questions time. after, <laughs> and then he calls for the offering. Yep. All right, so. He this uh, as the this worship gen- team comes up. Let me wrap this up. This gentleman named Steve Bateman. <laughs> he he gave four kind of uh, principles based on the uh, four lessons from these last sermons of these well-known pastors. Uh, one, every pastor will preach one a, a final sermon. Every pastor will preach his last sermon with incomplete sanctification. But it might be right before the rapture. You don't know. <laughs> it might be right before the rapture. Every pastor can make Amen his last that. sermon. Every pastor can make his last sermon a good sermon, and every pastor needs providential adversity. So I, I would love to hear your thoughts on the article if you read it. I would also love to hear um, about the idea that if you knew that, like, your next sermon was your last sermon, would that ch- would you change anything about it? Would you change the sermon? Would you change something leading up to that sermon? Like, when you read an article like this and you think about, your legacy as a, your pastor of your church. What does this article do for you? And what do you think about your last sermon? I mean, yes. Yeah. If I had like terminal illness and I knew for sure that I'm going to be gone or that this is the last chance. Yeah. I'd talk about the resurrection. That's it. I mean, that's what I the gospel yeah. and the resurrection. But since I don't know that as of now, um, no, I'm just going to keep working my way through the scriptures and trust God that 
I mean, how many stories have you heard of a guy giving some sermon and then a week later he got hit by a car or something or died in an accident and his last sermon was amazing? Like, I mean, especially for those of us who lean a little more Calvinist and into God's sovereignty. Like, I mean, just trust him. Preach the the sermons that you had planned in the scriptures. Exegete well. And just go from there. Make much of Jesus always. You know, I mean, I mean, to, to me, that's the biggest hope is that you get to the end, even if it wasn't a fantastic whatever your best sermon ever. If if it can be said that he made much of Jesus and and the grace that he offers and the forgiveness, because I mean, our our sermons should revolve around the hope offered in there, anyways. But you know where my mind also went here because I I just finished listening to a church history um, lecture series, and I think about these guys, but then also other pastors who didn't have they had not just you know not good bad sermon bad sermons like look at Martin Luther's last sermon, I mean as as much as he did he did an appendix on his last sermon and it was a pretty much an anti-Semitic rant and I mean when I say that I mean there was no. No bars held. I mean, it, it actually was if you go look at it. But does that mean his whole ministry is, you know, no, he's like you said, we're not fully sanctified people. So my hope is that when you get to that last sermon, it could have been the one I preached last week. You know, it it really needs to just be what Jeff said, faithful to the call that you've had. You know, that we've not, I mean, could you imagine, I mean, I hate to do this, but we've been, we've been sharing memes with each other. My pastor's been throwing them to me all week. Could you imagine if your last sermon was just, here's this at the movies thing. I got up there and, you know, I dressed up like a minion and jumped up and down and said, oh, Jesus loves me. Or to Mario and oh my gosh, like I cringed. I'm like, Lord, if I got there and if, if that was my last sermon, I would be humiliated but I also look at other pastors who thought they might be coming up on their last sermon. Do you guys remember when Matt Chandler, I mean, he had brain cancer? Like there was a notable, at least in my opinion, notable difference between yeah. pre-brain cancer Matt Chandler and post-brain cancer Matt Chandler. And there's a fire that got lit under him. Because right after that is I went to um, Elevation when he preached the Code Orange Revival. I mean, I wish you guys could have been in the room. Like it was totally different than anything that's maybe ever preached on that stage before. And I think he had the perspective of eternity in his mind. I had a couple of takes on the article. One, um, a lot of these guys died relatively yeah, young. They, they died in their 50s. That's not very encouraging to a guy in his 40s. Well, maybe they just didn't have enough time to uh, flounder, flounder, flounder around in, in their yeah. last few years. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. What, what was your line at lunch? Um, I don't remember, but it was, it was kind of insensitive, I'm sure. It was very insensitive. But I did. I did notice that man. That, that but was yeah, kinda... like dying in your fifties doesn't give you the leeway to uh, be unfaithful in your waning years or something Ouch. to that effect. My my second take are and my my favorite two lines of the entire article. Some pastors will draw large audiences and, in Spurgeon's words, do great things in his name. But most will faithfully labor in obscurity and be forgotten within a generation. I am so good to be the latter. Like I, I, I hope and pray that that's, that's kind of the legacy that I was, I was a faithful laborer. And if my name is forgotten in, in a couple of years, I'm, I'm what's the Austrian dude's name, like Zinzendorf or whoever was the preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Good with that. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of the goal. Yep. The, uh, I know it the, said uh, that uh, most will faithfully labor in obscurity and be forgotten within a generation. And I was like, within a generation? This will be like a week, and they're going to forget yeah, about me. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The, the, that's right. The, the search committee is meeting a week after the funeral. So <laughs> For sure. What's it, what's it matter? 
the uh, w- the church that I was at previously, um, we had a founding pastor who had retired in his early 60s and then came back 10 years later as the emeritus pastor for like 20 plus years as the, you know, doing hospital visitations and whatnot. And 2017, um, he and I were the only two left on staff after the senior pastor had retired. And we served communion at the Monday, Thursday service. And um, he did not wake up on Good Friday. And that's mm. just, you know, he didn't preach oh, on Monday, Thursday, but he he and I served communion together. And then at 6 a.m. Uh, Good Friday morning, I had a call from his wife. Hey, come come to the place. Paul, Paul didn't wake up. And that's just the coolest thing ever. He was 89. And I, I can't imagine a better way to go out than that. But at the same time, I can imagine a whole lot of worse ways to go out and I'd much rather preach my last sermon or do my last wedding or, um, you know, preside over the, the elements at the Lord's table for the last time and then not wake up the next morning than somehow disgrace myself and spend the next 25 or 30 years wondering if I had been stronger for that 22nd period or whatever it is. And I think there are far more pastors who have preached their last sermon that really wish that they hadn't than the ones that are mentioned here in this article. Hey, I'll just I'll just say this. Um, one of our most viewed or downloaded sermons of all time at Lakeview was our founding pastor's last sermon that he preached at Lakeview, and he had no idea it was going to be his last sermon. Yeah. Unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Because sometimes well, sin I mean, catches up with you. I mean, honestly, guys, oh. if you ever just and this is kind of morbid, but the whole conversation is morbid. Do you remember that church a few years ago? that there's the mass shooting in the church on Sunday. Um, I went and listened to the pastor's last sermon and that morning, and it was just so surreal just to see how much this man loved his flock until the end, you know, and I'll still never forget. He had a motorcycle in there and he talked about when you lean, you know, when you're leaning on a motorcycle, how you feel like you should lean the other direction. I mean, you should lean into the curb, but really you have to counterbalance and lean into the other direction. And that's what we're supposed to do in this world. We lean into the other direction. And I was like, that's really good. Like, even until the end, he was so faithful. And you know what? We don't know his name, but man, he loved his flock well till the end. And, you know, kind of to go back to what some of you guys were echoing, you know, your last sermon is, is often bolstered by the sermon of your life. You know, like, how are we, how am I outside of the pulpit? Because to me, if they know you outside of the pulpit at all, that brings credence or, or it can, it can bring like, a, oh yeah, whatever. When he's preaching, you know what I'm saying? Um, and for any of it, I know most of us have spoken at conferences here and you know, the value of going, showing up an hour early and talking with the people who are at the conference who may not know you yet, because in some way you've lended yourself to them outside of the pulpit. So like, your your sermon, your last sermon in the pulpit is um, is actualized by your the way you live your life as a sermon outside the pulpit. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, the article will be in the show notes, and I would love for you to read it. We can talk more about it in the 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 Facebook group, and yeah, follow us on Instagram, uh, like and review this podcast, share it with a friend if you can. And uh, we hope to see you next week, uh, so long as this isn't our last podcast. This got, this got real morbid. Huh? Awkward. <laughs> okay. Hey, with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. 
This is Prankley Pastoring. See ya. See you at the resurrection, boys. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.